Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Today, it seems uh, odd, but today we're going to wrap up our series in James, which if you have not liked this series, you can celebrate. Um, And if you wish that we could do more, then uh, James is always there for you. You can keep picking it up, and you can keep studying it on your own. Um, I know that you probably won't, but you could. we put these online. Like, you can go catch the podcast again, and you could listen to them again and again um, if you want to. I know that probably isn't going to happen, but it's there, okay? Um, so, James and Faith Does is all about having a faith uh, like Johanna, a faith that actually does something in your life. It shows up in your life. It isn't something that you just claim, like, yep, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. It actually starts to permeate and come through who you are. And that's what the study of James has been. If you remember, we'll take like a little bit of a hike back through the book of James this morning. If you remember, James started out his book by calling himself uh, a servant. That his authority didn't give him a posture that he would bark down commands at others. His authority was one like Jesus that said, uh, things switch when you live in Jesus' kingdom, and the leaders become the servants. So if you want to be great, you get down on your knees, and you serve, and he starts that way. He talks about being brothers and sisters. Like, this is a family conversation. James is not out barking at everything wrong in the culture. James is barking, if you will, at the community, at the brothers and sisters. And he says, I I want to make sure that we keep uh, doing the iron sharpens iron thing, that we don't ever get complacent, that we don't ever get still, that we don't ever think that we're done. James is a book of challenge. He talks about the royal law, uh, and Jesus calls it the great commitment to say, love God and love others. And James is heavy on the emphasis of you can't love God if you're not loving others. And so, so much of his book is about how we actually live it out, how we are dealing with others in our speech, in our practice, in the way that we show favoritism or shouldn't do that, in the way that we use our money, um, either for selfish gain or uh, for others. James talks about all kinds of stuff. For James, truth is something that you live. Truth isn't just something that you believe. Truth is something that you live out. His book is a book of progress, not perfection. How many of you guys, at the end of this series, show of hands, how many of you guys feel like you have learned everything there is from James and you're good now? No? Nobody? Good. That means God's not done with you. Okay? For the rest of your life, if you pick up the book of James... It should challenge you because God isn't finished with you. God says he will continue the work all the way to completion, but that isn't in this life. And James says, I want you to be challenged, not, toward, not, not to be perfect, but to be making strides, to be working and having progress. James will challenge you every time. And here's why I say he's not telling you to be perfect, because if you're in Christ, you already are. Okay? Let me throw up a verse on the screen. Hebrews 10.14 says this. By one sacrifice, this is Jesus on the cross, him dying and then rising again. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know what that says? 
in Christ, your standing before God is a perfect, spotless person. That he can look on you as a holy God, completely holy, where sin cannot stand up in front of him. He can look at you in Christ and say, you're welcome here. You are perfect in front of me. Only because of Jesus, not because of our effort, right? In Christ, by that one sacrifice, if you have accepted that and you are living in that, you stand perfect before God. But then he's not done. He says, those who are being made holy, so you're not done. This is the inside-out transformation. This is the transformation that comes in and he gives you a heart transplant spiritually. He makes you alive and he makes you perfect before him. And then he lets the outside catch up. Then you start to get holy. And not holy as a super spiritual icky word like then you start to get judgmental. Holy like you start to look different from the ick of the world. You start to look different than from the the death that you were living and your life starts to shine out that light until the day you die you will continue to be made more and more and more holy he is changing you okay so james is saying in christ you're already perfect let's continue to grow let's continue to challenge each other's and so he talks about a faith that does something He talks about how we can be patient and actually have joy in trials. He talks about being hearers of the word and doers of the word. He talks about how we use our tongue and how we need to tame it, how we need to take it under control. He talks about asking for wisdom from God, not playing the judge. He talks about how to use our money, the plans that we make, and the confidence that we put in ourselves. He talks about being patient, and he talks about confession being able to share our vulnerabilities and our, our sin with each other, not so that we can beat ourselves up, but so that we can be honest, open, and move toward greater health. Today, today we wrap it up. Today is going to be a fitting conclusion. James talks to brothers and sisters, and he wraps it all up here, and he says, here's kind of the point, or here's the end of the game. So would you stand with me, and we're going to read James 5, 19 through 20. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, help us today to see that we all wander. Help us today to see that we are not intended to live by ourselves, that we are intended to live in community, and that we are intended to extend community to each other. Help us to look at each other with eyes of reconciliation, eyes of healing that can only be found in you. Help us to walk in that truth. Help us hear from you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, so we're going to talk this morning about um, we're going to talk about the wander, the response, and the result. Okay, so James talks about the wander. He says, "My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth," and he says, "among you," so he says right in here, 
if anyone in the church, if anyone among the brothers and sisters wanders away from the truth, he's talking about uh, the wander. And again, James, for, for James, truth is not just a head truth. It's not like wandering away from the truth and believing wrong things. That, that is included, but for James, truth is something bigger. For James, truth is something that is lived out. So if you wander away from the truth, you're not living the life that God has called you to. And we would call that sin. The Bible calls that sin. So James has already spoken about sin. He says, don't blame anybody else for the sin. Don't even blame the devil for your sin. Your sin comes from your own desires that lead to disobedience, that lead to death, right? And that's what wandering starts down. Hebrews 12.1 says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. James says, if any of you wanders, and we all do, we all do, there will all be a point. So there's uh, three guys from church take a fishing trip. And they go out fishing, and the first day and the second day, the fish are chowing. Is that the right term? <laughs> that means that Kevin's a big fisher. That means they're biting, I guess. They're catching a lot. It comes to the third day, and nothing is happening. Three guys in a boat start talking. And because they do church together, because they do this together, they start talking about life and church, and they end up saying, okay, what's your biggest sin? What's going on? Let's, let's confess to each other. And so the first guy starts talking like, man, my mouth. Sometimes I, I, it just runs loose and it runs wild. And I hope, I, I hope nobody back at church ever finds out about my mouth because they would look at me and they would, they would not have good things to say. He's like, man, I feel so good having that off my chest just among us guys right here. We can leave it here. The second guy goes and says, Man, for me, is my impure thoughts. Like, I, I struggle to take every thought captive, and I don't do a good job with it. And if people back at church knew the kinds of thoughts I had running through my mind, man, it would not be good. And they get, kind of get into a conversation, and they are talking back and forth, and they're experiencing freedom from confession. And the third guy's just sitting silent and watching them, and they're like, Man, how about you? Like, oh, me. Um, my biggest sin is gossip. <laughs> I can't wait to get home. <laughs> uh, church is supposed to be a place where you stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down, I guess. Um, would you stand with me? We're going to play a game, okay? Because I really like games, too. We're going to play a game. We're going to play a game called Sit Down If. Okay, sit down if. So in student ministry, sometimes this is bad and like you'll embarrass people by saying sit down if you forgot to put on deodorant today. And we're not going to do that. Okay, um, we're not going to do that. We're going to play a different version of it. Sit down if you have never wandered away in sin. Nobody sat down. Oh, some guys stood up. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Sit down if you have never wandered away in sin, even a little bit in the last year. No? 
good. Honesty. Okay. How about this week? A little bit? Nobody? (laughs) Conviction. I don't know. Sit down if you've made it through this portion of today without wandering a little bit, without sinning at all. All right, some success. Fantastic. Maybe you just don't see it yet. Okay? Okay, what does this say? We are sinners. We are all a bunch of sinners, right? And every one of us wanders. Every one of us wanders. Is that something to celebrate? No. But it is something to celebrate being able to talk about. Okay? It is something to celebrate being able to be honest about and being able to say, I'm not alone in this struggle. And we hope it's a struggle. Okay? All right. Game over. You can have a seat. Truth is, this is not a fun game. Sin is not a fun game to play. When we look at what really happens with sin from, uh, from our desires that start to cook up, that tempt us to do uh, what we ought not, to this willful disobedience that says, I'm going to go my own way, it leads toward death. Nobody likes playing that game to say, hey, if you really get good at this, death. But we're all playing the game. We're all living this kind of life. Sin and wandering. Sometimes we do it on accident. So often we do it on accident. Sometimes it can be a sign of something deeper going on. Whether uh, we want to be tighter with who's the master of our life. And we want to be our own master. And we want to, we want to call the shots. Sometimes uh, this wandering is, I really don't know what I believe anymore. I really don't know if I can trust Jesus, if I can trust what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he did, I don't know. Sometimes people deliberately choose to walk away from Jesus or deliberately choose to wander. Sometimes wandering may even be a sign that somebody has just been going through the motions and playing the church game their whole life. And they never have really realized a relationship with Christ. Because we can get good at playing church. Sometimes wandering reveals nothing has gone on to change my heart. Is it always a huge faith-destroying kind of thing? No. Wandering isn't. But is sin always serious? Yes. Sin is always serious, and it's always something that we should be helping with. So he says in verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. This is, James talks about sins of commission, like the wrong that you do. He also has talked about the right that you don't do. That you sit by and let evil happen around you. And you just don't do anything about it. I love it when you when you see somebody who sees a, the broken world or sees another aspect of the broken world and it does something to say, this breaks my heart that we live here in a world like this and I, want to, I have to do something about it. I have, to, I have to do something. That's a good sign. Wandering 
wandering, James says, should lead to a response. What kind of, Christ, what kind of response do Christians have toward wandering? I don't know if you want to ask the question, honestly. If you Google, why are Christians so? Most of the responses are not happy, or loving, or giving, or generous, or patient, or kind. Those show up sometimes. If you go through the alphabet, and you go, why are Christians so A? You get arrogant. Why are Christians so B? You get boring, or belittling. You're like, you could even fill this in, right? Okay. Why are Christians so? Now, the, the question is, is that always fair? No. I think the world around likes to pick on Christians. Is it far too often fair? Yes. Far too often, we are described in ways that reflect who we are, in ways that reflect how we're behaving. And James says, you should have a certain kind of response toward wandering. And it is not... It is not judgment. It's not uh, a condescending look or a belittling look or I'm so disgusted by you kind of look. James says, if any of you wanders, he talks about the brothers and sisters going to them. So we look in the Bible and we say, where can we see going in the Bible? Where can we see somebody who's trapped in sin who has wandered away, and somebody else going to them. Luke 15 tells three stories of things being lost. You could say they've wandered away, they've fallen into cracks, they've gone. Uh, Luke 15 tells, a sto- tells three different stories. The first is a coin. The woman has some coins and she loses one. And this isn't like, man, I lost my quarter, I can't get a Coke now. Okay? This is a significant amount of money. So what does she do with, when she loses a, a large portion of money? She looks for it. She starts to clean her house. She says, it's here somewhere. And she spends herself trying to find it. She goes after what is lost. And the second story is about sheep and how one little sheep wanders away and how the shepherd says, good riddance, I didn't like him anyway. No, that's not how the story goes. Sick, disgusting sheep. I hope you fall off a cliff and die. Okay? No. Ooh, sorry. Uh. <laughs> so that's not even a good, that's a bad joke. Okay? The shepherd, what? Goes. Goes. Says, you guys are good? You guys are safe? Okay, good. Stay safe. I need to go and rescue this one. And the third story is this long, elaborate one. And Jesus tells it to say, there's a man with two sons and one of them wanders away, leaves the life that he has at home that he's intended to live, and he goes away and he wrecks his life. And he wakes up, realizes what's been done, and he starts to head home. And before he can even get home, the father, who has been disgraced by him, pulls up what we would consider a dress and humiliates himself by running and burying his legs, which is not good in the culture for an old guy to show his legs off and run. He runs to his son, throws his arms around him, and hugs him. 
These are three stories that Jesus tells about things and people who have gone missing, gone wandering, are lost. And the response that Jesus and James talks about is that we go and find them. We go and we bring them back. Actually, in the the third story in Luke 15 about the wandering son, what's missing in the story is that he has an older brother who doesn't go looking for him, who doesn't go, is stingy, and acts like a reputation that Christians often get. Eh, gross. Stay away. I hope you never come back. What he ought to have done is to have left everything and go search for his brother and bring him home. That's what's missing in the story. And Jesus leaves it open so that he can tell us, I'm the older brother you never had. You're lost and you're sick and you're wandering. And I'm going to leave heaven and come to find you. I will do it at great cost to myself. I will spend everything I have to find you and bring you back. That's what Jesus does for us. And James says, if we follow Jesus, then we should follow Jesus. Right? So if someone among us wanders or stumbles, what do we do? We fight for them. We go to them. Sometimes love is harsh. Sometimes love means speaking a harsh word to a brother or sister. But you know that wounds from a friend heal, right? It's not because you want to beat them up or hurt them. It's because you want healing toward them. Like a surgeon with a scalpel. This is going to hurt, but you don't want the alternative. And Jesus says, and James echoes, we go. That's what our response is. Matthew 18 gives us a step-by-step look at what this response could actually be. We can put it up. Matthew 18, starting in 15, says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. It's not like you just keep everything quiet and you're like, ah, it's not a big deal. If your brother sins against you, like, talk about it. That's okay. Just between you and him alone, not like that third guy in the boat. You don't go tell everybody else how your brother hurt you. And say, yeah, what a jerk. I can't believe he did that. I'm such a victim. Okay? If your brother sins against you, you go. You tell him. Just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. What's the purpose of going? To make him feel really shamed? It's to get a brother back. Sin separates. And grace heals. Grace restores. Right? So if your brother sins against you, you go and you talk about it just between you and him. And if he listens, if he listens and moves, you gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. So the first try didn't happen, so you go and tell everybody about it and you tell them about what a jerky is. No. You go grab one or two other people, and this would suggest one or two other people, not just to build up your case, but one or two other people that you both trust that could almost sit as someone who's going to be impartial. Look, I don't know what's going on. Tell me what's going on. And I'll be able to help both sides understand better. And if there's something we need to deal with, then let's deal with it together. Take 
uh, one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is not a, now you have permission to gossip. Okay? This is, okay, it, this started small. It didn't work. So you got a little bit more help in the process. That didn't work. Let's go get a little bit more. Like, let's go talk to church leadership. If we're in this together, let's, let's talk together. And this is serious. We should deal with it. Go tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Then you can kick him out. That's not what it says. How did Jesus deal with Gentiles? How did Paul deal with Gentiles? He went to them. Paul's whole life got changed when he realized that his mission from God was to go to Gentiles. That it wasn't just a message for Jews anymore, that God was saying everybody is welcome, so we need to go. Tax collectors were um, traitors, basically. They, had, they were backstabbers on their own people. And Jesus took one of them as, among his 12. Matthew is a tax collector. And Jesus says, I, be, I want you to be one of the closest people to me. I want to I invest in your life. And I, I believe in you, and I'm going to send you out so that you can, you can carry on this mission. If we're going to treat people like Gentiles and tax collectors, if this whole thing fails, that means we set our sights on winning them to Jesus. That doesn't mean we get to grumble about them. We get to kick them out. It means we care about them so much that we never quit. And maybe our efforts change in their heart to say, I don't know how much he cares about Jesus. I'm going to start praying that that builds up in him. And I'm going to do everything I can to see that happen. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is a restored relationship. It's healing for them and for you in community. Because James says we're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to do this together. So you go to them in private. You ask maybe another uh, person or two to join you if that doesn't work. You ask for help, but not in a gossip way. And if that doesn't work, you keep loving them toward Jesus. One of the, my favorite trips in student ministry, we went out to Colorado on this adventure trip a number of different times. And um, it was so awesome. Took a coach bus. And our last day uh, of the, uh, the whole trip, is a summit climb, a summit climb hike. So we drive our coach bus up to Treeline, which is 10, 5, 11,000 feet, somewhere in there. It's the land of Subarus and Jeeps, okay? And we drove a coach bus up, which was awesome because you drive up and everybody else in their Subarus and Jeeps and Land Rovers looks at you like, what? Really? You, you're going to bring that here? Yep, we are, and we're going to get out, and we're going to camp right next to you, and we don't have all the equipment, and uh, you're going to love us. We're going to be best friends, and we're going to sing Jesus songs. Uh, not, not really. We weren't that obnoxious there. Um, to coach bus was enough, right? Um, but on the way down, mountain roads are tricky. Mountain roads have switchbacks, which are difficult to navigate in a coach bus. So we're going down the mountain, 
and we get to this one turn that's too, it's too tight to get around. And we can't make the turn. So what we've got to do is we've got to back the bus up the mountain. Except it's a gravel mountain road. So what happens? We start shooting gravel around. So obviously, what do you do if your bus is stuck on a mountain road, on a gravel mountain road, and you can't make the turn? You just tell everybody to get out and push the thing back up the mountain. I'm not kidding. We did that. Okay. Here's a picture. Can I show you a picture? We said, get out. Get out and push. And they're like, really? Yeah. Well, what if it rolls on us? Well, then I'm fired. <laughs> so we pushed it up. We pushed it up, and we actually got it around. Uh, we had success. But in the process, Taylor, who uh, is a guy that I love dearly. Taylor is a, a young guy who... Uh, didn't actually come to youth group, wasn't involved in student ministry much, and then came on one of our winter retreats, and um, his heart just started beating in a different way. He got involved, and though he never came to student ministry as a student, he started plugging in as a young adult, and he started to be a leader. Taylor is incredible. His faithfulness, I just love seeing him grow. Uh, but he started to look around, and students were like, I don't want to push that thing. And Taylor started to get frustrated. And he started barking a little bit. Guys, push the bus! And in the middle of it, I'm pushing, and I look over at Taylor, and I say, Taylor, you have to be kind. And it was one of those tense moments where Taylor looked at me as if, not now. A couple months ago, when a church had a going away party for me, some people stood up and just talked about memories and talked about, hey, here's what really made an impact in my life. And Taylor stood up. He says, there was this time in Colorado where we had to push a bus up a mountain. And the parents were like, wait, what? <laughs> um, it's all right, I'm leaving. It's okay. It's, uh, it's okay now. Um, and Taylor said, there's all this, and I started to get really grumpy and barking at kids. And Shannon said, be kind. I'll never forget that. He said that, like that punched me and that made a difference in me. So I whacked Taylor with that. In the midst of all the tension, I said, what you're doing is not good. What you're doing needs to be redirected. In this little bitty way, Taylor is wandering. Okay? It's not like he's having a crisis of faith. He's just not leading the way, the way we ought to lead. And I poked him. And he said, your poking was good for me. And I'll remember that. And you know what happened to our relationship because of that? It got tighter. Because we have permission to speak into each other's lives. And there's both courage and humility. Those are great compliments. When somebody has the courage to speak into your life and say, this is not okay, you can meet it with anger or you can meet it with humility and say, our relationship could actually get tighter now. 
Love wins people back. You go speak anger towards somebody, and they have this fight-or-flight mechanism that goes off. You go speak strongly in a loving way, and it penetrates. It gets in, and it wins people back. Then maybe you haven't experienced this. Maybe your experience in people calling out your sin has not been done the right way. And what I would say to you is, you have an opportunity to forgive. You have an opportunity to go Matthew 18 on them and say, I think when you challenged me in my sin, I think you were actually off in doing that. And I want to work toward closeness. And in order for us to do that, we got to talk about this. And the goal is reconciliation. The goal on your part would be forgiveness. If you see a brother or sister wandering, you should go to them to try and love them back. And the result, James says in verse 20, is whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul as the sinner's soul from death. Because this desire, disobedience, death is the progression of sin. If you fight against sin, if you fight the system, you win people back. And it covers over a multitude of sins. All throughout the New Testament, you see this phrase, love covers over a multitude of sins. And I think it goes straight to the heart of Jesus, that his love would cover over the multitude of our sins. It doesn't mean it washes them or like sweeps them under the rug. It means we fight for each other. We spend ourselves for each other. We are in this together. We care enough to call people on their stuff. Taylor and I have a great relationship. I can't wait for you to meet him someday. He'll come to Madison. He loves Madison. So here's a request from me to you. Is if you see me wandering. If you see me stumbling. Or if you see me misstepping. Will you have the courage to call your pastor on something? Because I need you. I don't get this get out of sin free card. Leaders in the church sin and mess up all over the place. And we need to be in this together. So I give you permission and I ask for you to help me. And then I'd ask you to look at each other metaphorically. You don't have to do that awkward look. Okay? (laughs) Look at each other and say, I'll do that for you too. And we give permission to say, will you do that for me? Will you come after me? Will you come after me? Will you not let me go wandering alone? Will you come after me? Jesus came to seek and to save us. James challenges us as recipients of grace to do the same. May we be the kind of people who receive the life that Jesus bought for us. May we be so devoted to him and to each other that we don't let we don't let somebody wander away without going after them. May we be people who do something 
with our faith. Faith does. Let's pray. Father, we're coming to the close of our series and we're not done. There's so much more work that needs to be done in our lives, in our hearts, in the way we live. And so we ask that you just keep working. We ask that you would never give up on us, that you would keep coming for us, keep running toward us. Jesus, that your work would continue to come over us. Help us to be people who are humble enough to see our need, to see that we are sinners, to see that we are wanderers who need you. And help us to be people who have been rescued, who now go after others. Father, may we not look at sin as an excuse to exclude people. Would you turn us into the kind of people who look at sin as motivation to run toward people. Help us to not be judgmental, but caring so much that we would take sin seriously. Jesus, we love you. As we turn toward communion, I pray that you would remind us of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that you would remind us that our sin that our wandering put you on the cross and that you were willing, you were eager to come for us. As we take this little cracker, would you remind us of that? And as we take the cup, would you remind us of the life that you pour into us, that you, you call us back home, not just for ourselves, but so that we could join you in calling others back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.